0: Hello, hello. Before you listen to this episode of ICYMI, we need to address some oversights on our part. We talked about Serial, the release of
1: Adnan Syed, and shared some
0: of our critiques of
1: Serial and parent company The New York Times' handling of updates to the case. We wanted to make a passionate argument about how we communicate important information to our audiences. And in doing so, we made some of the same kinds of mistakes that we were calling out.
0: There are two main mistakes that we made. The first is that we did not reach out to the Serial team for comment.
1: Also in the episode, Rachel said that Sarah Koenig described the detectives who worked Adnan Syed's case as, quote, basically good guys. It was not a direct quote. We should not have used the word quote.
0: I tend to think of ICYMI as reported criticism more than anything, which means that basically we won't ever claim to be objective, and we never have. I personally think objectivity is fake and can be used as a tool of power, but we will always strive for fairness, which is why we are and always will own up to our mistakes.
1: So what you're going to hear is an updated version of our episode. Most of it is the same, but we did make fixes relevant to the issues that we just laid out. We've also adjusted some of our narration to better clarify some of our points. We did not mean to imply that Serial had not reported out updates, but rather that we felt that information wasn't easy to find. We did review the Serial website, transcripts, and show feed, though not as thoroughly as we should have. We regret our errors and sincerely apologize to the Serial team.
0: I'm just gonna sit here and drink, drink my tea of justice. It's my chai of justice, and say, "I told you so."
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and I'm Daisy Rosario, and you're listening to ICYMI, in case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And we are back with Daisy. Daisy, welcome back. Thank you. Honestly, I might be a little too excited to be here today.
0: <laughs> Y'all can't see her cuz this is a podcast, but Daisy's doing those like warm-up jumps. You might see before someone like runs up the rocky stairs, like that's that's how excited <laughs> she is to be here. I think I've said this in the past, but because Daisy is our supervising producer, that means that even when you don't hear her voice on the show, she's always there. And not Mm. in a creepy way, but in like a (laughs) lovingly staring down at you from heaven, telling you that you pronounced something incorrectly. Anyway, (laughs) what this means is that this Monday, September 19th, as we were preparing our most recent episode, where Nadir and I were screaming into the void about letting bitches be angry online. Daisy was doing something more important.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't know that it was more important, but my whole body reacted to it. Uh, I was trying to follow along with the Adnan Syed hearing that was happening in Baltimore on Monday. There were reporters live tweeting about it as it was going on. And in case you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the case made famous by Serial, or as I like to think about it, the case that made Serial a juggernaut.
0: Very important clarification. So I listened to Serial around the same time everyone else did because I love to follow a crowd. In the (laughs) fall and winter of, like, 2014 into early 2015 was when it was being released. I was an undergrad at the time doing a degree in journalism. So, of course, this is all anyone could ever fucking talk about. So, like, all the other basic bitches, I was like, let me listen to my first podcast. And for a while, as in years, Serial was the only podcast I had ever listened to I really didn't get into podcasts regularly into the pandemic which means that for me and for a lot of people serial looms really large but despite that I really didn't keep up with the updates on Adnan's case until this year I think somewhere in the back of my mind I was like if there's any important update that's gonna exonerate him I'll hear about it from the serial team
1: Yeah. And I think that that's an understandable feeling to have as a listener. Right. And the serial team did put out a few episodes about updates to the case in February of 2016, pretty much at the same time that they were putting out season two. So if you didn't listen to season two, did you, Rachel?
0: I I did not listen to season two.
1: So, yeah, if you didn't listen to season two, it could have been very easy to miss them. Or, you know, if you had started listening to the season even and just didn't listen to the whole thing. And for many people, the new 17-minute episode of Serial is how they heard about some of the details of Adnan's release, even though they probably saw a headline about his release somewhere before that. It was everywhere. And this is the rub for me. There have been many, many major updates and breakthroughs in this case that you would only know about if you caught those episodes from Serial in 2016, or if you took it upon yourself to read really, really thoroughly through their website, or, you know, just basically choose to follow the case closely after through other sources so this is where it gets probably a little embarrassing for me when Serial first premiered two friends and I did a recap podcast about it all right welcome back everybody it is time for another episode of Serially Obsessed because we're totally obsessed with Cereal. I'm Daisy Rosario. I'm Dibdi Sarawit. I'm Layla Carello. It was a comedic endeavor. Like I acknowledged on the show that I was a journalist, but we were definitely doing it as a comedy podcast. These were friends I made through comedy. Mm -hmm. So I ended up keeping up with the story. You know, I stopped making my show, um, mostly because we were so bored with Cereal (laughs) season two that by the end of it, we couldn't do the show anymore. (laughs) incredible. So yeah, you know, it's like I kept up with it. I stopped making my show, but I did follow the story. And I listened to other shows like Undisclosed. And I'm not the only recapper that kept up with the story after.
0: Yeah, we talked to Rebecca Lavoie, who's the host of Crime Writers On, which is a true crime podcast that looks at other true crime media like TV shows, movies, and podcasts like Serial, which is a true crime Ouroboros, one might say.
2: The, what's problematic in retrospect is a few things. Serial did make a lot of mistakes in their own reporting that were revealed very shortly after the show ended, a huge one being that the cell tower evidence that they used to produce an entire episode that potentially placed Adnan Syed in the area where Heyman Lee's body was buried, that cell phone evidence is junk. And the guy who created the report that was used in Adnan Syed's trial is the same guy who says that cell phone tower evidence is junk. And he came out at a hearing in 2017, testified saying it was junk. And Anand Syed's conviction was overturned at that time, in large part because of that testimony. They had that report, Serial did, and they used it to produce an episode and they did not have him in the episode. They could have contacted him and he could have given them that information. They didn't do it. And then that episode continued to remain up with no disclaimer at all saying, hey, guys, we reported this back in 2015. Since then, it's been learned that blah, 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 blah. No disclaimer of any kind.
1: So again, the serial team did put out Some updates. But to Rebecca's point, if you go listen to that original episode from season one, you still wouldn't know that. Sarah Koenig did speak to that expert, just not as part of the season one episodes. But there's nothing at the top of those season one episodes, including the specific episode Rebecca is referencing, to point you towards that information. You'd have to go to their website and actually, you know, read some other supplementary text if you wanted to get that information. Or If you're looking in the feeds, you know, you you have to look for those updated episodes among other episodes of other seasons. Additionally, there was an HBO documentary directed by Amy Berg called The Case Against Adnan Syed. In that documentary, we meet the actual woman who was on serial, who was known as not her real name, Kathy. This is the person who said that Adnan had showed up with Jay at her house the day that Heyman Lee went missing, and her testimony is a big part of the story about how Adnan spent that day and what his demeanor was like. So the documentary shows that her memory is not from the day of the crime. She wasn't interviewed by police until six weeks later. And I mean, this is something that Serial acknowledges. I mean, one of the things they talk about quite a bit is how hard it would be to remember like the details of a random day of your life after the fact, like this far after the fact. But Even still, after all this information came out, it's not something that you would be aware of right now if you looked up the show on wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Mm -hmm. As someone who considers herself fairly online, I'm going to (laughs) say generously, it was honestly really shocking to me to realize how much of this case I had missed. I knew the documentary had come out, but I'm not going to lie, when I saw it, I just thought it was A documentary about Serial's reporting. There's this kind of new trend of podcasts being made into documentaries or docuseries, and I thought that's what it was.
1: Oh, yeah, that's fair. I mean, the title of the documentary is also the title of an episode of Serial from season one.
0: And I don't think you'd come away realizing how much of that documentary diverged from, if not outright disproved Serial's original reporting...
1: Just based on how many people online were attributing Adnan's release to Serial and to Serial alone, which was driving me mad, and we will get into that more, I think you're right. And that's what today's episode is all about. After a short break, we'll be back with Rebecca to talk about Serial, what it missed, and how it, in Rebecca's words, words I love, gentrified the true crime industry.
0: And we're back. As I said before the break, I think that I, like most people who encountered and consumed cereal, didn't think there had been any major breakthroughs in the case since 2015 when the podcast wrapped. I now know that's extremely untrue. Not least because Anand Syed was released from prison on Monday, September 19th. A judge vacated his murder conviction, quote, in the interest of justice and fairness. And prosecutors have a month to decide whether to proceed to a new trial or drop the charges. As someone who has actually been keeping up with this case, which do you think is more likely, Daisy?
1: Yeah, I mean, right now, the general consensus is that the state is probably pretty unlikely to proceed with a new trial. Part of that is because the judge ordered Syed released on his own recognizance. That's how he got home, which is, you know, not something that's usually done if they really think that the person is guilty of a violent crime like murder. Um, But also the motion that was filed on September 14th, that is what actually led to the hearing on Monday. It mentions other legitimate suspects among many other issues with the police investigation all those years ago.
0: I mean, speaking of issues, one of the things that made its way into my feed as this hearing was happening was that Hay's brother called in and was saying, this isn't a podcast to me. I keep having to relive this and it isn't fun.
1: Of course, right? Like, and I don't want Heyman Lee's family or Heyman Lee as the victim herself to get lost in any of this. And I think that that's something that feels icky for any of us throughout this, but the you know, flip side of this as we learn more, not just about this case, right, but like the sheer amount of wrongful convictions in this country and and the wildly disproportionate, you know, ways that the criminal justice system impacts people of like certain backgrounds versus others, right? Like it's not actually justice for Heyman Lee if the person who didn't do it is the one in prison, it's really just ruining another family. So I think that that's just something that we always have to grapple with as we learn more about the criminal justice system overall. Um, And yeah, let's not forget that. Because I do see that, right? Like, I see that sometimes of people being like, well, it's disrespectful to, you know, this victim's family. And it's like, okay, there's also a devastated, you know, mother, father, and son, Syed, who are missing their family member a lot. And so I think we never want to forget the victims, but we have to be mindful of what we mean when we're talking about justice. And so yeah, I mean that's just really complicated. And I mean Monday was a heck of a day online. There was a lot that was going on. But I mean like the things that were like really, really getting under my skin were apparently the same for Rebecca. One is that as we mentioned just before the break, so many people were giving Serial and Sarah Koenig all of the credit for this incredible turn of events. But also the fact that, like, yeah, there are these updates, but they aren't front and center. You have to go searching for them.
0: I know that as a journalist, but for our audience who may not be journalists, why is this so, like, unfathomable to the both of us?
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, think of it this way, right? Like, you ever go read an older story on a news site? Like, let's just think of the New York Times, for instance, right? If there have been updates, the original text of the story is still there, but there's also usually a note, noticeable, high at the top or right at the very end of the story, or maybe even a banner or something that will point out the updates. Or if a story gets something wrong, they're going to issue a correction and it's right there on the page. So why haven't they put some sort of note like that at the top of the episodes? And this is true for their website as well. I mean, Again, they have some blog posts about the updates, but they're not exactly easy to find from the episode pages. Even if you scroll down to the supporting documents that they provided for each episode, the updates don't show up there. You know, this isn't about asking them to, like, stay with the story forever, but just making some of this work that, you know, they say they already did easy to find and accessible,
2: I would never, ever tell a reporter they have to continue reporting a story in perpetuity. Like I wrote books years ago that I now know things about that like are different and that if there were ever a reprint, I would 100 percent be like, let's put a new front page here so I can just acknowledge. But there isn't going to be a reprint because our books, you know, are not bestsellers. Uh, But I'll say it whenever I get the chance, because I think that's important. This could be a digitally inserted disclaimer. Sarah does not have to report a damn thing. The New York Times could put a digitally inserted disclaimer that says this reporting took place in 2014 and 2015. There have been significant updates to the case since then and some of the details in this podcast are now factually incorrect or there are updates that you should pay attention to. Please go to new slash serial for an update like all it would take. The closest
0: analogy I could think of that could maybe justify this is that there's no way to append corrections to print pieces that already go out into the world, right? Like, you get right. your morning newspaper, it's in print, printless forever. And so maybe Serial is pretending that they're, like, <laughs> a magazine? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but even as I say that, I know it makes no <laughs> sense. But that is truly the only reason I could think of That doesn't make this straight-up journalistic malpractice. And I say that because in a past life, I fact-checked print magazines, and you bet your ass if I got something wrong, they put a correction both on the web version and in the next print issue.
1: Absolutely right. And it's also that the New York Times specifically are being hypocrites about it. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, they had that podcast, Caliphate.
0: Oh, oh, Caliphate.
1: I mean... That
0: was a mess
1: (laughs) a mess in so many ways we're not even going to get into all of them (laughs) but the gist is that right like the show won a peabody award Mm -hmm. then they found out that there was unreliable information in the show so the times returned the award and retracted the series but retracting does not mean erasing you can still go to the new york times site and listen to the show and see the supporting information from when they put out the original package but there's also a big Editors note right under the title that links you to updates about that and an interview with the Times executive editor. So why haven't they at least put up some kind of note about serial? And question for you Rachel. Ooh. When you did listen to Serial originally, what were you left with? Like like where did you come down on the idea of Adnan's guilt or innocence? Ooh.
0: Okay, you're asking me to remember back to 2014, uh, 2015. <laughs> and Maybe because it's been so long ago, I'm, to be completely honest, I don't remember. I actually (laughs) checked my text messages to see if I had maybe talked about this with a friend at the time, because yes, I still have all my text messages from 2014. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't say anything, at least over text, which makes me think I didn't have a strong opinion one way or the other. I remember having this intensely allergic reaction to the way that the show kind of portrayed the cops that interrogated Adnan as basically good guys. That's at least how it felt to me. That's how I remember it coming off. Oof. And I remember wanting to hear more about like the racial politics of the time. This is a crime that took place in Baltimore in the early aughts. I was like, this is fascinating from a racial perspective, but I don't remember hearing any of that. But I also don't remember feeling super strongly that he hadn't done it. Sure. And I think I'd remember if I did. But what I do remember feeling strongly about was that the show was good enough to recommend to several people, including my mom, and I... Think it's still the only podcast she's listened to all the way through. I know she does not listen to every episode of the show. <laughs> My mother also does not listen <laughs> to probably
1: anything I make, but I mean, overall, like, yeah, I think that's fair, right? Like, some people were definitely like deeply passionate about whether or not they thought Adnan was guilty or innocent in like either direction. But I would say that the thing I probably heard most often from people at the time, especially if someone actively making a show about it then was, I would say most people seem to come to the idea of like, well, I do think he did it, but he shouldn't have been convicted on such weak evidence, right? Like that, that to me is, I don't have scientific proof of it, but that to me feels like the thing that I've heard most people say that they come away with, or most people say that they came away with most consistently. There are also plenty of people like your mom who have maybe only ever listened to Serial. That updated info is not going to find its way to her easily. And Rebecca had another good example.
2: If you went to the hairdresser today, like I have a haircut tonight, right? I'm going to go to get my haircut tonight. And if in two chairs down from me, some lady asked the woman cutting her hair, I don't mean to be gendered, but it is all women who go to my hair salon, (laughs) um, says, hey, I'm just getting into podcasts. What should I listen to? The person in the chair next to them will say, you should listen to Serial. That is what is going to happen. That conversation is happening with hundreds of thousands of people today. So today, someone is going to listen to episodes 1 through 10 of Serial. And they may even listen to this update that happened. And they're still going to think, you know, Adnan could have done it. I listened to Serial and thought, I'm I don't know, but I I know he didn't get a fair trial and I know there wasn't enough evidence, but no one could possibly know what really happened before I like literally learned anything else. But it didn't take long for me to learn like one or two other facts that like completely I mean, all you need to know is what happened to Jay Wilds to know that everything he said to the police was for a reason. And this was a very common tactic of the Baltimore police. This was not a situation that was unusual in any way for a witness like Jay Wilds to tell a extremely complicated and specific story that helped them arrest somebody. This happened all the time in Philadelphia, in Baltimore. These were like two cities in particular on the East Coast that have had like tons and tons and tons and tons of convictions looked at, overturned because of this exact tactic. You have a person in trouble, particularly a person that's vulnerable, young, uh, drug dealer, like lots to lose. You can get them to do anything. And that is very, very much what happened to Jay Wilde in this case. Like it's it's just so obvious. It's like so incredibly obvious. And it takes like almost nothing to get there. And the, and the fact that that wasn't even considered, it, it really is incredible. But if you only listen to Serial, which even I did at the time, I was like, man, Maybe, I mean, it's got to be either an honor or a J, right? I mean,
1: yeah, I don't expect the lady in the hairdresser's chair to go beyond what has been made clearly available when she opens up a podcast app.
0: That lady is my mother, and to a lesser extent, me. I mean, (laughs) what's funny is that I'm actually home in Texas right now, and so my mom saw me watching the HBO documentary to prepare for this episode, and she was like, oh, yeah, we listened to that together. And... I told her the updates on the case, that Anand had been released, and she was so surprised, not least by the fact that he had been released, but also about all of this evidence that's come out since Serial that led to his conviction. Evidence that was available at the time that Serial came out. And I think that, more than anything, really made me sit back and think about... I don't know how else to describe it, but the vibe of Serial? Mm. Right. I've talked so much about how <laughs> deeply I dislike true crime. And one of the reasons is because a lot of it relies on this idea that a conviction is something to cheer for, that a life sentence is something to be happy about. Even as wrongful convictions are not only basically stealing somebody's life, but sentencing them to, in a lot of cases, as we know now, horrible conditions, a COVID Infection, harassment, and a lot of times assault. And yet, I remember at the time that I was showing my mom this podcast, I felt really comfortable debating with her about whether or not Anand had done it. Like, I thought it was this fun little thing to do on a car trip, was listen to Serial. And I think a lot of that had to do with how the show was framed.
1: Absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to squeeze in drag race moments when I can. I mean, absolutely. I think so many of us felt like that was an interesting conversation, right? Like who's lying, Adnan or Jay? Like we get caught up in it. And to a degree, I do think there's aspects of that that are just human, But it's also not your mom's job to take in every secondary supplementary piece of information that is on the cereal website, especially if there's not a clear path of how to get there from the main product, right? It is, however, the Times' job, since they bought cereal productions, to put that information in a place that would be obvious to a casual listener. It's also one of the things that stays with me as a journalist who used to recap the show from a comedic perspective, right? Like I know if I went back and I listened to the show, I would probably cringe so much. But also I'm Afro-Latina and the blind spots that Sarah brought with her around racism, Islamophobia and the realities of the criminal justice system for people of color overall were things that stuck out to me even then. You know, and if anything, our language around how we talk about these things has gotten better, right? Like, let's think about everything that has happened, not in criminal justice, but everything that has happened in the world oh God. since Serial was published originally in 2014, right? Daisy, like, you don't make me. <laughs> I know. It's hard. It hurts. But it's like we may be in a societal backlash against progress like right now, but we have developed a better vocabulary. And given that better vocabulary, it just ends up making the way that this is all being handled feel
2: tone deaf. If the serial team, if they were still Serial Productions, which was the spinoff company from This American Life, if they independently decided, hey, we don't care. We stand by it. We don't care. Like, we could just be like, you know what? That team has a lot of hubris, which, you know, people know that they do. That is just actually a thing. And they actually did a whole podcast called The Trojan Horse Affair, which is basically about the amount of hubris they have. Uh, so. You know, that's a fact. uh, But the New York Times now owns this product. It is shocking to me that the New York Times would be okay with this. It is shocking to me.
0: And Rebecca's not the only one who's shocked. After a short break, we're going to talk about some of the, some might say, well-deserved backlash to that hubris and serious unavoidable impact on the rest of the podcast
2: industry. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
0: Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening to ICYMI, then welcome. We're thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that's what ICYMI stands for. And also our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesdays, which was all about the ethics of speaking ill of the dead online. The tagline could be described as let bitches be mad on Twitter. You don't want to miss it. Check it out. And we're back. Daisy, there's this tweet that you dropped on our planning channel from Rabia Chowdhury, the lawyer who Sarah meets with at the beginning of Serial. Rabia wrote, People keep telling me we wouldn't be here without at Serial. True, but here's the best analogy I can come up with about it. Imagine you ask someone to help renovate your house. Instead, they set fire to it. The story about the fire brings thousands to your aid that rebuild your house. So I'd say you and Rebecca were some of those thousands that helped rebuild that house. But I'm curious, if you were to do one last episode of Serial Obsessed, trying to <laughs> contend with everything that's happened since, what do you think would be the most important thing to say?
1: Okay, I love this question, in part because it's a tough one. <laughs> um, I do want to say before I answer it, though, like, I don't think Rabia would count us among those people. Like, my show (laughs) even got mentioned in her book, and she, like, shaded us a little, and she was not wrong. Like, honestly, she wasn't wrong. Um, But, like, so, like, respect. But, I mean, yeah, it's, like, it is really tough, because if I could say one thing, if I had to choose literally one thing, it would be to point people towards the other incredible reporting that people have done around this story, most notably Rabia's podcast, Undisclosed. Right. I I think if you look at the actual legal aspects of this case, it is possible that Adnan could have eventually gone free. Marilyn Mosby, who is the state attorney for Baltimore, you know, her administration has been reviewing multiple cases, not just famous ones. Like this is part of her push has been uh, this idea of um, justice, not conviction.
0: Right. Wow. Wow. Groundbreaking. (laughs) Maybe that should have been... (laughs)
1: The system in the first place. There's some other stuff about her that people should be aware of, but oh, I will yes. say it's no, a We do motto. not stand politicians in this household. <laughs> right. We do not. Exactly, right? But it's a good motto, right? And so when it comes down to it, I think in many ways we actually do overstate the role that Serial played in this case because it had such a big cultural impact, you know? I mean, thinking back to my own podcast, I remember feeling like I had to defend Serial and its stylistic choices because people forget how hard the divide was between hard news and, like, things that were more casual, right? Like, at the time, I was even working with a host at my day job who had been on CNN at one point, and so she would, like, slip into that, like, I am a serious journalist voice. And, <laughs> we, like, we as a staff were working with her to get her to sound more casual the way that a lot of narration of podcasts has become.
0: Having joined the industry post-serial, I think the freedom... And the kind of ubiquity of sounding casual on a show, I take for granted. I mean, especially considering that I have this show, which a lot of y'all think is unscripted. It's not. It takes a lot of work to make it sound like it is. You're welcome. But (laughs) that ubiquity can pretty directly be attributed to Serial. And I'm not the only one saying that. Rebecca agrees.
2: You know, I talked about Serial at the time. It was a groundbreaking piece of media that cannot be denied, and we would not be here talking about anything were it not for that project. That is like just a fact. So, insofar as it deserves credit for anything, it just deserves credit for its existence, okay? It made podcasts mainstream. It made. let's say like white ladies in Kansas listen to podcasts now. That didn't used to be the case, right? And, you know, it also, the other thing it did was it turned true crime from a back of the bookstore trash shelf into a mainstream, uh, no longer being ashamed to admit it media product. We were all consuming it anyway, but now we just talk about the fact that we're consuming it. So that's, you know, public radio people now talk about the fact that they like true crime. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what it did.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest thing is that I want to acknowledge the impact of Serial on all of us, and especially on our industry, right? Like the podcast industry, the journalism industry, particularly the place where those meet. But I also want to acknowledge its weaknesses. You know, nothing and no one is perfect. I mean, if you are even listening to my voice right now, this is an updated version because we made some mistakes and we needed to address them.
0: And I mean, let's let's be real. It can be really difficult to communicate updates and corrections and just generally new information that might change the way people understand something or the way a story is constructed. It's a common issue in journalism long before podcasts existed.
1: Yeah. And we also know that podcast listeners, they aren't just in one place, right? I mean, that's why any regular Mm -hmm. podcast listener is probably exhausted of hearing the phrase Wherever you get your podcasts, like literally, (laughs) you know, people started saying that so they didn't have to read a list of like 20 apps and all this stuff. Um, So that makes it harder. But it's also why we are saying this information should be more accessible in the places where people like Rachel's mom, like the lady in the hairdresser's chair are way more likely to see it or at least be pointed towards it. Right. Like this most recent, you know, 17 minute episode of Serial is labeled as season one, episode 13. The first season was 12 episodes. It makes it look like there are no updates, even though they do exist in their feed.
0: And before we wrap up, I do think we have to talk about something Rebecca mentioned, which is the impact Serial has had on what I unaffectionately call the true crime (laughs) industrial complex. Yes, yes. Serial didn't invent true crime. It didn't invent true crime podcasts, despite what a lot of people seem to think. It did, however make you respectable
2: Ooh! do you know what people when people say like cereal is responsible for this explosion of true crime it's it reminds me of like people saying that like brooklyn didn't exist before white people lived there Ooh! oh you just stabbed me in the gut as a brooklyn native but yes i feel that (laughs) that's 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 how i feel about it it's like this was the gentrification of true crime not the beginning of the existence of true crime right Dateline has been on the air forever. 2020 turned into a true crime show like in the 90s. Uh, Nancy Grace uh, has a whole career around this. This is not a new phenomenon. It's a phenomenon we've always been interested in. Uh, Unsolved Mysteries, the movie Adam, any serial killer story you have ever watched or listened to or consumed in your entire life, hate to break it to you, that was true crime. But serial made it okay, for like middle class white people to like embrace the genre and talk about the fact that they're consuming it. It's basically what cereal did and it it did give birth to chat shows in which untalented people can now make money. As I said before, I really
0: love the fact that Rebecca called it gentrification. Oh my god, <laughs> it felt so right and it, it ugh. <laughs> felt so right and as gentrification tends to do, it made everything worse. <laughs> It made everything worse, but in a way that on the surface makes people think it made everything better. Exactly! (laughs) (laughs) There's this tweet from radio producer and reporter Sonari Glinton who wrote, This show, the show being Serial, has spawned the vile genre of true crime which turns the reporter into the star and infantilizes minorities. And I could not agree more. I don't think we have murderinos without Serial. Like, people always been interested in murder in death in serial killers in unsolved mysteries yeah bitches used to watch people get their heads cut off in the town square and that was their entertainment for the week like don't get me started on the lynching postcards humans are fundamentally voyeuristic and kind of terrifying if you think about it too hard which i try not (laughs) to (laughs) yeah yeah but and correct me if i'm wrong if i'm having the bias of coming up in this industry at this time. But I don't think before Cyril, it was really something that you'd casually bring up at a water cooler. I don't think it was normal or let alone celebrated to have a favorite murder. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. You know, I mean, like, yeah, people would talk about certain big crimes and things like that. And I'm sure like back in the day before the myriad options that the internet gave us, like if there was like a movie of the week about a murder, you probably would have talked about it at the water cooler. But it wasn't the shared hobby the way that it became. Also, honestly, I feel like it's an insult to the other Sarah that I think of when it comes to podcasting. Like, Sarah Marshall did not make you're wrong about so that we could learn nothing about how media approaches various cases.
0: Okay, speaking of Sarah Marshall, if you want to hear her on ICYMI, go listen to our episode from April called The Girl Bossification of Casual Sex. I'm biased, but I love the episode.
1: I mean, it is a great episode, and I'm also so jealous that it happened before I got here. I do want to like thank Rebecca for talking to us. It was so great to talk to her and to really just connect with somebody who is also a journalist but also used to do a recap show and she's just smart and she articulated so many feelings i was having so what a great opportunity to connect with her rebecca thanks for your time you should check out her show crime writers on which is a very ethical true crime podcast <laughs> but i guess like truly right like if i could leave our dear icy my audience with one thought It would be that the most accurate thing in Serial Season 1 is the way that Sarah Koenig describes Rabia, which I will read to you from a transcript of the first episode of the show because we are not going to play a clip. Rabia is 40. She's short and she's got a beautiful round face framed by hijab. She's adorable looking, but you definitely shouldn't mess with her. She's very smart and very tough
0: and she could crush you. Alright, that is the show. We'll be back in your feed on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss a true crime takedown. There will be more. I will never stop. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify. Tell your friends about us. Don't tell your murderinos about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at Slate.com. ICYMI is
1: produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. I'm Daisy Rosario, the senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. See you online or not. But it is also not your job's mom. Not your job's. It's not your job's mom. <laughs> My job's um, mother. <laughs> I know.
0: This is the story of the wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears
2: things differently